Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You have been coming in here dressed in that ridiculous getup for three weeks. Now, when are you going to stop this nonsense? Carla, as an understudy, I have to be dressed and ready to go on at a moment's notice. <laughs> Putting on makeup like this can take hours, but I wouldn't expect you to understand. Why? Because I'm not in the theater? No, oh, because you don't wear makeup. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me again is fellow Fire and Water Network all-star, Siskoid. What's up, man? I, uh, I have a sore throat, but, um, well, not a sore throat, a sore voice, a hoarse voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well. Oh, thanks. I'm trying to think of, damn, I should have prepared like a, a Mark Twain appropriate quote for that to, to kind of like right. set you up with it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you, you're here, and we're on Season 6, Episode 9, Puddinhead Boyd. Written by Sherry Aiken and Bill Steinkellner, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date for this one was Thursday, November 26th, 1987. Bitten by the acting bug, Woody auditions for an original play at a local theater. While he doesn't land the starring role, the director makes Woody the understudy for the part of famous novelist Mark Twain. In order to be ready to take the stage at a moment's notice, Woody goes to work at Cheers every night for weeks dressed as Mark Twain and quoting various lines from his books and essays. One night at the bar, Woody befriends an elderly customer named Mary, who is instantly charmed by his folksy witticisms and character. But does she have the wrong idea about him? Meaning, has her impaired vision tricked her into thinking that Woody is actually much older than he is? Not wanting to hurt her feelings, Woody maintains the illusion for weeks while the play is in production. But finally, Sam and Carla convince him to tell Mary the truth. When Mary starts talking about how lonely she has been since her husband passed away, Woody is so consumed with guilt that he asks her to marry him, at which point Mary reveals that she has known about his real age all along and humored his twain portrayal to make him feel better. Meanwhile, Fraser and Lilith are so unhappy with their professional lives that they decide to take a Caribbean cruise. They end up getting seasick and spend the entire voyage knocked out on anti-nausea medication. All right. Um, as I said, the the title of this episode, Puddinhead Boyd, refers to the Mark Twain book Puddinhead Wilson. Woody, or the <laughs> Siskoid, what did you think about this episode? Uh, well, it was an amusing sitcom premise. Mm-hmm. It's not something you see every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it kind of stretched Woody Harrelson's talents, you know, to to do a little more than just the Woody character. It's Woody playing another character, and I think he does it well, and there's some... It's interesting. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's some... Is it? Isn't it? <laughs> it, it is, yeah, because there's there's fun layers of this, getting to see, you know, an actor portray... An actor playing somebody who, by all accounts, according to everybody else, is a bad actor. Like, they're, they kind of make fun of his acting. Although... I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the costuming does most of the work for him. But his version of Mark Twain, not bad. I mean, the only other one I can really compare to is Hal Holbrook as a, does a famous Mark Twain. But um, right, right. Now, every every Mark Twain I've ever seen is sort of 
that caricature. Yeah. You know, he's pretty close to it. And they're assuming he's not good. They're assuming because he's a little simple that he's not going to be a good actor. But I mean, they don't know. They don't. They don't see him out. I mean, yes, we're told by the director of the play that he didn't get the part exactly. You know, mm-hmm. he's only an understudy. So, yeah, we can assume that he's not very good. Um, he ran through his lines. I was the fastest. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. So maybe he's he's not so good. Maybe uh, he, he doesn't have the techniques. But once he's settled in, he's at least imitating the other actors' performance. Maybe. I mean, we don't know that he's not any good really you know right right i mean there's there is some objective evidence when he kind of begs rebecca to let him do the do the play and kind of like is like like right. is very sort of like defiant to her as as a gesture of his acting prowess and it does not come off very well i think i think that's probably the one okay this is this is some actual clear evidence that we can point to that you know maybe but right. um but this is a thing that will become a feature of the woody character this this little acting thing that he he's doing will will stay with the character for a couple seasons now well, okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you say he's not a good actor, that puts the lie, that sort of destroys the um, the theory that much of what Woody does is a put-on. He's trolling the other cast members, mm, you know? True. Like, he, it, maybe he's, he's so good that he knows when to <laughs> kind of play play the dumbass yeah. and when not to. Uh, but uh, but that's if you subscribe to that theory. Right, right. I don't know that I do. I don't. I don't know that I've seen enough with that filter on to to say yet. Right, right. That'll be that'll be some for our our comments section with everybody who has that theory of it. Is he an idiot or an idiot savant? You know, where do we draw that line? We'll, we'll see. All right. So the the teaser for this one, I love it. It's one of those simple things. I, I feel like maybe we've seen a teaser with a similar structure to this, but just like a different kind of play out. But it's one of those things where Sam comes in, he tells Rebecca that he's late for work, and then he basically has to tell this long-winded story about why he's late. He says he got stuck in traffic behind this parade, his car backfired, which sets off this chain reaction, which involves like these trained poodles wearing tutus freak out, start running, their their trainer has to go chasing them. This causes a mini car full of clowns to crash. The crash scares this elephant, which rears back and throws the rider off, and all this chaos going on and everything like that. And the, the longer Stan tells the story, it just gets bigger and bigger and crazier. And then you have Rebecca just say, look, this is a lame excuse. Shut up. Just be honest and say you overslept. Cut to the front of the door to chairs opening, and a woman from the circus walking in with her two trained poodles standing up on their hind legs, like showing Rebecca that, oh, every word Sam said was probably true, but now that she shamed him, he's going to like throw it back at her, and Sam just says, yeah, I'm sorry, I overslept. It'll never happen again. So, What did you think of how that the teaser plays out? A couple things. First, I wouldn't put it past... Sam to hire this girl with the the, the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Fair it's kind of the. I don't trust Sam alone. I just with with Rebecca. I don't trust Sam. You know, <laughs> everything seems to be a ploy, a plan. Um, I know you know. I've listened to the show up to date, and you sometimes well, you often give him the benefit of the doubt as if things happen just coincidentally. I don't believe it at all. I think everything he he does is sort of structured to get in bed with rebecca uh you know like <laughs> yeah. like the painting episode I, I, yeah, so in I this case your comment, yeah thinking that he he, yeah. he had carla get norm out of the out of the house yeah 
Yeah. So in this case, I feel like like how why does she walk into the bar afterwards? You know, so mm-hmm. it, I I at the same time he's not trying to get her back into bed here. He's just late for right. his shift. What I do like is that this is thematic because then Woody's going to be late and she's going to re- kind of refer to that other incident. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like an isolated uh, teaser that you could put in front of any episode. I'm sure you could. But in this case, it seems to really follow uh, or precede the story that's about to happen. So I like that. Right, right. Uh, and then I, I guess the performer, Brigitte, as she is credited, <laughs> must be a real... Like, they didn't put an actress and also have dog trainers. Like, she must be the, the dog trainer. She, this is her dogs. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, she is an actual circus performer, I think. Yeah. And, I mean... I don't know where they get these people. <laughs> it's like, oh, we need... Because uh, it happens... Pretty often on Cheers, you know, you get like a walk-on and it's like an actual circus performer, an actual this, an actual that. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, she has no dialogue, so they didn't need an actress or anything. I do, I mean, I wonder if if the visual gag was all they needed or if they, like, maybe there was a version of the, of the script where there was a dialogue, there was more exchange between her. But, yeah, ultimately they didn't need her to say anything. They just needed the visual of her walking into sort of confirm Sam's story, whether or not you believe it's legitimacy or not. But, yeah. So why pay an extra to do this and also a dog trainer? Maybe you can get both right. in one package, you know, get yeah. everybody. She gets the credit. She gets the credit. She does. Line yep. or not. Yep. Um, and then once the, the after the credits, Frazier is at the bar looking, uh, I mean, the, uh, look a, a little bit more haggard. Like his tie is a little bit looser. He looks a little bit more unkempt than we're used to seeing Frazier. Uh, and Lilith comes in and she's complaining. She's like, hey, I parked the car. Let's get out of here. And Frazier is complaining about the, his wretched day at work and she tries to top him. And they're just kind of going back and forth, sniping, and, and Sam has to tell them to relax and go on vacation or something. And and at first they make it sound like, hey, they can't just get away. They have professional responsibilities to their patients and their clients, and it's not that easy to just up and abandon them. But really it is, because they're like, we can clear our schedule. Like, which one of the Bahamas do you want to go to? <laughs> like, right, <laughs> right. But I wasn't sure that they were actually going to go on a trip, uh, because when we see them again... And they're wearing those shirts, captain and, and first mate. And, of right, course, right. Fraser has to be uh, emasculated. <laughs> of <really>. course. Yeah. <laughs> has to be the first mate. It's less about, you know, like uh, female power, mm-hmm. which you could say that, that, of course, Lilith represents. But it's always more about emasculating Fraser, whatever happens. You know, right. There's, there's something in that relationship or any relationship he has. He's sort of being emasculated. Um, but when I see them in the, their T-shirts, and yes, in this particular scene, they say, let's go to the travel agent. But then when they come back and they've got those shirts, I'm thinking, is it? And, and there's some role playing going on, mm-hmm. you know, but the beeper and you, you have to you'll have to strip search me and right. it's like the vacation's on. And, OK, they're they're heavily into role play, which as psychologists, I get it. Yeah. Um, but then is it all going to be a trip of the mind? Um, is it all going to be role play because they can't really leave Boston for any length of time? Uh, but as it turns out, it's a real trip. Right. And maybe maybe they can kind of get away with it because we need so much time to pass during this episode. Um, right. We need, you, we need the, the show the authors play, in hell yeah. to run yeah. throughout its whole length. Um, so maybe that right, kind of gives right. them a pass to kind of get away with that. Like with the Because, yeah, we, we do only get Frasier and Lilith in three distinct scenes, in which case they're in, like, three different parts of this journey of going on this vacation. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good good point, yeah. Um, 
So then Woody comes in the bar and he's running late and Sam knows why, but he won't say. And, and Carla knows that Sam knows why. And she's like, I'll get the truth out of you. And he's like, no, no, no. And then she grabs the, the, the drink dispenser, the little hose gun and shoves it right up his nostril. And I was like, whoa, that was, she was like a quick draw and gets it right in there. Um, and Sam says that Woody is auditioning for this play, and he's been hanging out in this local playhouse trying to get attention, cleaning, sweeping, cleaning bathrooms, all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And Norm has a great line I love. He's like, I wonder if he'd like to come over and do some acting at my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I mean, that's you, you get some good humor from the boys in this, but I feel like like once Woody is in the room, and they immediately, like Cliff, immediately goes after him, basically, you know, with this, mm-hmm. knowing the secret. Yeah. And um, I feel like, and there's a couple of lines like this where I feel like Cliff in particular, this season, I don't know, I, wasn't, I didn't get that feeling in other seasons necessarily, but in this season, I feel like he's, he's the one who's going to be, I don't know, maybe he's been bullied so much in his life, he likes to be the bully. But I, I feel like his jokes are meaner than they used to be. I I agree with that. I've noticed that too. You, like you're right to pick up on that. Um, that I, I mean, we've talked about it a lot since the beginning of the show. The sort of pecking order and that Cliff, how frequently Cliff was at the bottom of the pecking order. But any time there was a little glimpse that somebody might be lower than him, he was quick to pounce on that. Um, right. And I, I right. think you're right. It is kind of like the 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 bullied person getting his first opportunity to be the bully and feeling a little bit of a power trip there. But you're right. This season, they seem to be exploring it a little bit more frequently. There's de- there's the stuff with how he feels about Norm as a painter um, in the previous episode. Right. Like how, like he like thought like, like that would like Norm doing that such a menial, like late labor job would like throw off their, their friendship. Like he couldn't, he couldn't, be in the same room with him or something that will come back later. Like this whole thing with like the, the painting and, and Cliff's feeling. So yeah, there might've been, there might've been a little bit of an attempt to kind of change up Cliff, maybe make him a little bit more assertive. I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think they will eventually reset to the fault. I think they find that, yeah, it doesn't necessarily work. He's, he still has to be at the bottom, but you're right. Some of his jabs just seem a little bit less, less good-hearted. Yeah, there are two mean people in this particular episode. There's him towards Woody and and several times and then there's Woody towards Carla uh, accidentally, let's say, mm-hmm. but he's always saying things like, you know, inferring that she's she's like an old woman or that she she you don't wear like you don't wear makeup or yeah. you know. And he's like he's, you've been dumped a hundred her. times. How do you take it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's stuff like that where it's, uh, I, and he doesn't mean it. Uh, in a mean way because it's Woody, right? He's so guileless. Uh, but he's the other mean character in this one. I felt like, geez. <laughs> yeah, I felt... Yeah, I, you know, I, three like, times in the yeah. show. Yeah, I think I think if we take... If we take Woody at face value, I think his his jabs were a little bit like too simple to be cold. So I, I kind of forgave him for those. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they were a little bit funnier. But yeah, as, as you pointed out, one of my favorite lines of Woody, like when Sam has, so how did the audition go? Is like, is great. I said my lines faster than anybody else. Like that, like that would be the mark of his his talent. He's like, oh yeah, I can get through this audition faster. Like that's, I mean, 
if he was auditioning for George Lucas, who uh, notoriously the one direction he said on the Star Wars set was faster, more intense, like I guess maybe that was what he was going for. But no, I, I have a problem with that personally. You know, the uh, uh, the, the speed at which I speak. Or, you know, like on radio or whatever, I was always being told to slow it down, slow it down, you know, because your diction gets lost. Uh, and it happens on the podcast as well. If I'm reading, you can bet and suddenly I find out, I, you know, I realize I'm going way too fast. I guess I could fix it in post. but <laughs> There is a setting. There is a setting. It's going to slow down the tempo. But uh, um, especially when I re-listen to, I listen to a lot of podcasts at double speed. Mm-hmm. So then I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm insufferable. There's... <laughs> You know, I can't listen to myself at the double speed. <laughs> oh, man. So Norm asks, when would he get bit by the acting bug? And he says in high school, he started in Hello, Donald. And they're like, you mean Hello, Dolly? He's like, no, they had to rewrite the part because only Donald Wexler could uh, could sing the role. So they rewrote yep. this thing. Um, they had to rewrite the part because everybody <laughs> is like Woody in Hanover. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's kind of simple yeah. in the same way, you know. Um Gosh, I did. I, I was a, a background extra in uh, Hello Dolly in my junior oh, year of wow. high school. My junior year of high school. That was our our spring musical. We had a we had a big cast. And I was like, I yeah, I I was just I was I had my like knee in a brace because I had hurt myself that year. So I was just like well, background clown or something like that. I don't even remember. But yeah. uh, I usually had more starring roles, but uh, also it's it's not relatable because it, it was all you know French language stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And I don't, I don't account myself a good actor, not at all. Um, I'm a, you know, I am a clown. Yeah. So, um, so I played a couple of Molière plays, right? Okay. Molière yeah. was, was kind of the, the thing that we had to do. And UNESCO was some absurd theater. Mm. But uh, I try to do as little theater as I can. I do improvise theater. I'll come back to that when we have one of our, our guest stars in this. But oh. yeah, when when I moved here, I did three shows for the community theater at the request of a good friend who was involved in the productions. Um, I did do one version of Twelve Angry Men. Uh, I did. Uh, this is actually how I met um, a former guest of the show, a former uh, Fire and Water Network member, uh, Nathaniel Wayne slash uh, Vera Wild from the Council of Geeks. Um, we were co-stars in Twelve Angry Men. Uh, and then played opposite each other in uh, the Aaron Sorkin play A Few Good Men, um, which was one Ooh. that I had a whole lot of fun in. Um, I played the, uh, if you've seen the movie, which I imagine most people have, I played the Kevin Bacon role, which was the prosecuting attorney, uh, the Marine, Lieutenant Jack Ross. And uh, Vera played Dan Caffey, the, the star of the Tom Cruise role. So we got to go at each other in a couple scenes in the court, and that was fun. Yeah, The other link is Bass, who does have a, you know actual theater training. That was his... Mm-hmm. One of his majors, or yeah, I think he's got more than one degree, uh, or or tried at many degrees. He was he was in university in university like eleven years. But uh, Bass uh, Bass also played in um, a Twelve Angry Men. So, oh, nice. uh, a translation, but no. uh, yes. Um, so Woody says that the play he was going out for was called Authors in Hell, and he was like, "I'm trying to play the part of either Mark Twain, one of the Algonquin Roundtable, or Satan." So. Get it? I, this idea, um, and then the director of the show comes in, uh, Griff Palmer, played by John Paragon, and this was one of the connections. What I thought of you, um, because oh. John Paragon started in the improv troupe, The Groundlings, 
uh, and then went on to write and star for Pee Wee's Playhouse and a bunch of like Pee Wee stuff, as well as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, her her movie and her right. her TV show too, the one pre- preceding the movie. But yeah, you had a small role on. Uh- Star Trek Deep Space Nine as well. Uh, so, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, he was an improv guy. Well, that makes sense with the Pee Wee. And he ended up doing a lot of, you know, improv on TV then. Yeah, exactly. Doing like, yeah. some of those more skit type things um, or uh, little sketches, I guess. I, gosh, I don't even. It's been so long. I, it's hard for me to even remember, like, the, the basic format of the Pee Wee show. I did watch it. I've never it a even lot. seen it. I watched it a lot when I was oh. a kid. And now I can't remember. Yeah, but he did voices of puppets and yes. stuff. Yes, so. yeah. So he he comes in, and I, I love the, this little back and forth because what he's like, why do you think he's here? And Norm's like, well, maybe he's thirsty. So what he's like, do you want a drink? And he says no, and that's what he – he's like, I, that means I got the part because, like, why else would he be there? And what he's so right. excited. And then – Griff says, Woody, you are a very multi-talented person. And then just, you see all of the excitement just deflate out of Woody. And he's like, I didn't get the part. And I just like that little like back and forth like with Woody playing to those two extremes. Just That was really I, – I like that little sequence there. Um, I was a little surprised by the, the, the exchange. Yeah? Because, I, yeah, I feel like Woody was a little more, you know, um, aware of – of innuendo and than he usually is. Mm. So like like the next lines are stuff like you know he's like trying to make him feel better. And so well you know there used to be uh, a young actor called Griff. You know yeah and, auditioned and for many me, roles and didn't like, get yeah <laughs> and didn't get him. And, and to me like the Woody response would be that that was quite a coincidence. That, yeah yeah like, yeah yeah same name. And then when when or you can use that one or when he says well. Um, you know, I'm looking. We want an understudy, and I think you'll called. be hearing his name. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Then th- that's another opportunity to find like, what are the chances that another Woody Boyd would steal my part? You know, kind right. of. Uh, to me, that like Woody always takes everything at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the part of the humor is that whatever you tell him, he takes literally. You know, he doesn't get that you're inferring something and i felt like griff was was you know talking and suggesting things all the time like his whole way of speaking is not actually saying the thing but kind of suggesting it and to me like woody would be the one that always falls in that trap i don't know that's true it it didn't happen but i i do like what they did with it it's just like usually woody's a little more silly you know in those moments yeah, he's less literal and more aware of just kind of basic idioms and suggestions than, yeah, um, yeah. I maybe it's not quite in keeping with the character that we know, but I do just I found the rhythm better. I I, I like that scene. Um, and then of course after he gives him the the part of the understudy, Woody's really excited and he says, "Welcome to the world of the Lunts and the Oliviers." And he talks about how the the history <laughs> and the pageantry and the dignity of this profession. And he's like, "I hope it brings you as much joy as it's brought me." And as Griff Palmer is walking out, Carla's like, "Hey, how are you?" And Woody's like, "You recognize the guy?" He's like, "Yeah, he's the janitor at my kid's school." <laughs> I like that part. Realistic. Oh yeah, it's a community oh, yeah. theater, right? So yeah, it's yeah. realistic. The guy has a real job, and <laughs> yeah, and he does amateur theater on the side. Right. Yeah, and it would be a job that he doesn't have to take home with him because he needs all the time after work. And you, but, you've got keys to a school. That means you've got access to a theater. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sure they put on a bunch of stuff there. Yeah. So. 
Um, but yeah, because Rebecca then is like, "What do you can't you can't do this? I need you to work nights specifically. That's part of this part of your job. It's going to conflict." And this is where Woody's like, "Define." He's like, "He's like, Mister Hell, you can't stop. I gotta act. I just gotta." And like he he, he kind of like turns and looks back at Griff like smiling. He's like, "What do you think of that performance?" And the guy just like, "Oh boy." <laughs> and Sam has this line. He's like, "That was really good. Good job." And he tell he tells Rebecca, "He's like, look, just let him do this. You saw that performance. They're not going to let him on stage." So she's like, yeah, good, break a leg, buddy. Yeah, well, if, if the other actor had actually gotten hurt, then maybe he would have gotten on stage. But as, yeah. as it turns out, it never happens. Yeah. Um, and that is our uh, our excuse for the rest of the episode for Woody to be dressed as Mark Twain with the wig and the mustache and the whole white suit like he's Colonel Mustard. Or not Colonel Mustard, uh, Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right. Wrong Colonel. Colonel Mustard is more in a mustard <laughs> yeah. suit. There you go. <laughs> Interesting, ironic that he would be wearing that. But, um, and he's been doing this for weeks, and he good. Carla kind of gives him crap for that, and but he's like, you know, as an understudy, I need to be ready to go on a modem. It's those. This is the part where he's like, you know, putting on this costume and makeup would take hours, but I don't expect you to understand that. And she's like, why? Because I'm not in the theater. He's like, no, you don't wear makeup. And that is again, sort of like what you're saying that that joke. Could be a little bit more harsh than we're used to from him, but I don't know. I, I thought it worked. Yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, uh, he's, he doesn't realize he's saying something that could be nasty. It's just the fact that she doesn't really wear right. makeup, you know. <laughs> Unless she does, and he just doesn't think she does. But that could be the bigger insult. That is even worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get our uh, our second uh, guest star in this, Mary, played by Anne Petoniak. Um, she, she just got tons and tons of appearances, but nothing that really jumped out at me or nothing I thought noteworthy. Uh, did you recognize her from anything else? Uh, no, not really. I think like she had a couple parts, uh, when you look at your IMDb, like in the fifties and then nothing until uh, pretty much this point, you know, around this time. So probably working in the theater, like a lot of, I think a lot of cheers guest actors are from the theater, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just just like it just seems that way, anyways. And no, I, I don't know. She's played judges and aunts and grandmas, and you know, yeah. she's she, yeah, she, she was, a, I she mean, she a, was well prepared for this part. Right, right. She had the slightly elderly woman type, but uh, and she's uh, she Woody needs to give her a napkin so she can clean her glasses, and she says she's as blind as a bat without glasses, and he goes, "I've never seen a bat with glasses." That's a funny line. It's a nice, charming one, and she she says as much. She's like, "That's funny," and Woody still trying to picture it in his head. He's like, "Yeah, I can imagine it would be a bat with glasses." Like, um, and there's just like I I don't know like they they have this whole little flirtation thing kind of going back, and he starts. Well, he doesn't think they're flirting, but he's just like kind of quoting the lines from from Mark Twain and like whatever he can kind of bring his mind to, like including she asked for wine. He's struggling to come up. He's like they have wine in San Francisco, don't they? She's like yeah, and he's uh, he jumps to a, a Mark Twainism about uh, San Francisco. And they do have, like, this great little back and forth, and, like, he, there's just something, despite the fact that he's playing a part, there's just, like, this natural sincerity about him that just feels very warm and comforting. You just think he's just, like, this great guy. And they, like, yeah, I, I felt like, like they had this, this bond and this camaraderie, these two, actresses, these two actors, despite being separated by, you know, decades in real life. Um, that just felt very like warm and genial, and I was like, I I like these two in their scenes together just right away, and it kind of reminded me of, I think it was last season. It was just the fifth season when there was an episode when um, 
Uh, Woody needed a date to fool his ex-girlfriend Beth, so he got one from Sam's book, and it ended up being Sam's plumber. Um, or his cleaning woman, or something like that. Like, woman. right. And by the end of like this whole thing, like they they try to put on this ruse, like they were like in love or something, like they were like like seriously dating. And she's embarrassed by the end of it, she's going to go home. And Woody actually talks to her like a decent human being at the end. And he's like, "Look, I just I'm heartbroken right now. I just need somebody, kind of a friend to talk to." And it's it's sort of funny that in these weird instances, like Woody, despite being younger than Sam, you know, he he could he's this fresh faced kid. He could be the new romantic lead of this show. But in a couple of instances they've kind of gone out of his way to give him very unusual or unorthodox romantic subplots that involve older women or women just like not of his type that he kind of just bonds with because he's just a naturally friendly person. And I just think that's that's an interesting interesting setup for him. I think it's the um, perceived age. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's a younger man, but he's also played like he's a little bit of a child. So he's getting into these strange relationships with mother figures, grandmother figures. Yeah. Um, and, and it's all very benign and yeah. sweet and cute. But I, I think that matches his, his innate simpleness. Yeah. And even when, when he's matched to a, a woman his age, that woman's kind of a – also, maybe a little simple, and and whenever it's a vamp, we've seen it. You know, whenever it's like the the woman is more sexual, he's a little afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna that see that. To <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so then oh, I like that he has the line when he's talking to her. She's like, yeah. She's like, yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, I've just been quoting Mark Twain. She's like, and she's kind of well. If you know by the end of the show that she recognizes that she he's playing Mark Twain, that she does know that it's just a, a man in his 20s wearing a wig and makeup, because then she's kind of playing with him. She's like, oh, I, I bet you get this all the time, but you kind of look like him. And now we know that it's it's a, she's joking with him. But he says, you look like Emily Dickinson. You know, she's one of the authors in hell. And Mary has no idea what that reference is. She takes offense. She's like, that's kind of an unkind, she's like, that's an unkind assumption. Yes, I, I love that joke. That to me... <laughs> I mean, it's that's my home run. Oh, so, nice. um, oh yeah, that's. I, I laughed twice uh, out loud in this, and, and it's back to back. It's this, and then there's a moment that comes right after um, that that just made me laugh out loud. So um, because I love, I, I don't know. I obviously I'm a literature yeah. major, you know, English lit, and um, we didn't really read Emily Dickinson that that much because it's more of a high school thing. Mm-hmm. Right, um, it's it's what all the girls are into in high school, and like suicidal thoughts, and <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, that's kind of like the boys love Catcher in the Rye, and the girls love Emily Dickinson or something. That's like high school age, yeah, um, or at least when we were kids. But you know, so it, but it is it is a smarter joke when you think about it that way, and that's what I think. That's what made me laugh. It's like you know, like the assumption that Emily Dickinson would be in hell. Well, if she was a suicide and you know it's like (laughs) there's something there i felt like that was a better joke like if you know your literature maybe that's a better joke it's a darker joke yeah but it's uh it's maybe a better joke for it yeah and then she couples it with she's like although i do admit i've never been much of a fan so she's kind of yeah um and then here's where fraser and lilith come in and they're wearing their again the captain and the first mate shirts um and 
they're saying that they will be completely incommunicado, but Lilith still has her beeper and it goes off. And Fraser's like, hey, we talked about it. She's like, I won't give that up without a fight. You'll have to do a strip search. And she kind of runs back to the pool room and Fraser goes chasing her like the, the vacation has already started. And then Norman Cliff follow them. <laughs> like, like, did, did you there's like, nudity. Well, I, I was, <laughs> yeah, apparently he's like, hey, are we going to get a free show? But like, we're like, how far were Fraser and Lilith going to take their, you know, their public display of affection in like the pool room in the back room? Like, like how far were they going? Because right. now they got an audience. <laughs> like, well, you're, you're also reminding me of a sort of another Randy moment that I noticed. It's like it's before Woody is wearing the makeup, you know, so it's earlier. Um, you know, sometimes they, they just have extras passing the camera, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're going to the pool room and they're going – you know, further into the bar. And uh, they do that during a scene with Woody. When there's a man goes by, nothing happens. A woman goes by and it's just a very quick shot. And Woody is speaking, but he turns his head to look at that woman, Hmm. which is a very strange. Yeah. It's, it occurs in the first like 10 minutes, obviously, Hmm. you know, towards the beginning. And I felt like that's just a very, I don't know if it's in character for Woody, but it is a sort of human moment, and maybe the real Woody Harrelson got his head turned, you know, by this this woman who's probably possibly pretty, or I don't know. But uh-huh. yeah, she goes by real fast, and and he's like distracted by it, and it's, it goes by in a flash. Mm. But you know, when you're overanalyzing a show, uh, you tend to know maybe you notice something like that. It certainly hit me both times that I watched it. Oh, it's like maybe he is. I won't say attracted to Mary, but he's going to have this relationship to Mary. But this is like a sign that that in Woody there is the you know a, a normal a normal libidinous uh, relationship to women where you know women his own age or pretty would have turns his head. You yeah, know. good. Yeah, I get it. Um, Not that it's done on purpose. I'm sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, at the end of the night, Woody says goodbye to Mary. He had fun talking to her, and she compliments his glorious head of hair. She's, she's like, I haven't seen that since my husband Lloyd died. And he's like, well, he has to confess that, you know, he's just been wearing a wig. And she's like, yeah, so did my husband. So, And then after he walks away, that's when Mary tells Carla, basically, like, wonders if Woody's been seeing anybody and insists that, you know, she might be falling for him. And, oh, now we have this whole little plot dangling thing is the blind old lady problem that she doesn't realize that it's just a kid wearing a costume. And Carla thinks this is hilarious because, of course, she would. So Because somebody's got a problem bigger than hers, whatever her problem is today. But um, Then... Uh, after that, then we, we finally we get the next moment. So now we have to assume like at least a week has passed, if not more. Uh, Fraser and Lilith come back from their vacation wearing their cruise gear. Fraser is talking in this Jamaican Calypso accent. Fraser, like whatever, like they sprayed him with or covered him with his his skin. He got real tan there, and like this wherever they went, despite the fact that apparently they they didn't leave the the boat very much, but. Um, yeah, they uh, she they basically admit that they got sick that on the cruise there was wall to wall waves and and they uh, what did they take this little medication or whatever? So uh, Carla basically pointed out they spent the entire week barfing and sleeping through the Bahamas. Yeah, and they're happy about it. Yeah, yeah, She's, yeah. They lost a combined like twelve pounds or something, and they feel more rested than ever. So, yeah. and someone could say that maybe Fraser shouldn't be speaking in an island accent like that, but. 
He does sound least. ridiculous. <laughs> I think yeah. the fact that, well, at least at least Lilith is like the cab driver was going to take a swing at you. I think that's good. Right. So there there is a you know somebody noticed that that was inappropriate. <laughs> Although Kelsey Grammer was born in the Virgin Islands, so yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe, maybe maybe he can do it. Uh, so Woody, still dressed as Mark Twain, comes in even though they they established that the show ran its course. The Authors in Hell is over. Closed last night. Um, but he's like, yeah, he was uh, basically still dressed up because he's effectively dating Mary, even though he says they're not dating. They just go to the movies and to dinner and dancing. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. Um, Sam tells him that he's got to finish this thing off. He's like, you can't go through your whole life dressed as Mark Twain. And what he's like, why not? He did. I love that line. So, um, and then Mary comes in to, to talk to him again and like... Uh, Sam and Carla, like you get, you gotta end this. He's like, no, no, it's it's fine. And Mary gives her him her husband's watch, and they're like, this has gone on too far. And and um, <laughs> then there's a moment with Cliff, which I'll come back to when we come to our to our uh, home runs. Um, but uh, the, the gang pressures Woody to tell the truth, and he he needs he needs Sam to kind of help him out. But eventually, he he's like, I I do have. To tell you something important and she stops him and this is when she starts to talk about how lonely she has been and how since her husband died she she doesn't see her kids or her grandkids and all her friends are gone and knowing the reveal you kind of think that she's probably going to apologize to him and just say look I've let this thing go on too far I've I've let you kind of get carried away with this because I was letting you fill that void in my heart and that hasn't been fair to you that's probably what she would have said but before she can get there would he feel so bad that he's like will you marry me and she's like of course not i'm three decades older than you or i'm three times your age or something like that and he's like you feel so guilty uh, yeah he's like, <laughs> you know the truth and she's like i may be old but i'm not stupid and after that line <clears throat> which is great and it kind of like sells the whole thing it like slams the door on it but after she says that line, it cuts back to Sam and Carla, and they both kind of shamefully cover their faces and walk away like they can't get out of this. They're like, we should have known better. We should have not gotten involved in Woody's insanity. It's like, this was on us. We we, we screwed this up. Let's just get out of here. I, I liked that reaction, the fact that they cut back to Sam and Carla at that moment. <laughs> That's the comedy, getting it wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting because we thought uh, uh, Woody was getting it wrong. We thought maybe the woman was getting it wrong. Um, so when you when you spin it that way, it's like you turn it around, and it makes Mary is less of a fool as well. You know, so it's like she was entertaining this fantasy. Uh, she was she thought it was pretty benign, and it was. You know, um, so she. Uh, she takes Woody off the hook. Right, right. And you kind of get the feeling then, well, okay, well, like, it was it was benign for Woody, too, until Sam and Carla made it the problem, made it too real. Right. Because they thought that it was something. And if they had just shut up and let it go, then it wouldn't have gotten this far. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. But then she, yeah, she's like, well, I just, she's like, every time I wanted to have a serious conversation, you started quoting the jumping frog of Calaveras County. And she does mention, she's like, you were such a great actor. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to marry me? Because it's like, she's the first person to really give him that compliment. Um, and uh, 
Well, she's like, no, no. He's like, well, he's like, could you be my favorite grandma? And she's like, maybe a favorite aunt. And he he tells her his birthday, um, which for the little known fact, uh, he says it's July 23rd, and that is Woody Harrelson, the actor's birthday. Um, right. But she's like, I'm not getting you a present. I just gave you my husband's watch. So. But I like that moment as well. I like the way she, she says that. She delivers that. I just give you the watch, kid. You know, <laughs> it's like, don't push it. Don't make me your grandma, number one. Number two. Um, I already gave you a gift, you know. Don't abuse this relationship. She exits, and Woody is bummed and depressed now that the play is over. He, now that she's gone, and she knows the truth, and the play is run its course, he has no audience. And he's like, well, she knows that I'm a great actor, but nobody else will know. And Sam and Rebecca let him do Authors in Hell right there in Cheers. And he goes up in front of the door, and he kind of, he sets the stage for everybody. He's like, imagine a stage with a giant book, and I'm Mark Twain, and he's like, I'm going to be setting this up for you, and like all these other authors and Satan on stage. And he starts off smoking a cigar, and he does the opening monologue, the the notice from the beginning of Huckleberry Finn um, that, that sets the sort of ironic comedic tone of the book. And then he just sits there in silence and smokes for like a good five to ten seconds. And Rebecca goes, Woody, go on. And he goes, I just sit here and smoke. I don't talk again until the middle of Act Four. <laughs> and that's when they that's when they cut to the credits and it's over. So Yeah. That play must be so obnoxious that you know, it's like it's got <laughs> First of all, like that, that, that op- those opening lines from Huckleberry Finn say, that, like, don't look for a plot, don't look for this, or, you know, that, it's that kind of thing. Uh, so in other words, I can just imagine that this play is just monologues by <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the authors in hell, right? Yeah. That's, that's probably all it is. There's probably very little interaction. It's, and this is the 80s, but if you go see a play today, uh, a, new, a new play, a freshly written play, odds are that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be, you know, it's like poetry and uh, people speaking to the audience, but not necessarily relating to one another. There's a lot of that being written right now. Mm -hmm. So maybe this was uh, maybe that's why I think that's what Authors in Hell was like, (laughs) Uh, because it just went to a play and was kind of like that. It was good, but it was also, you know, it's like, when will people interact? Um, (laughs) And they don't really, you know, so. Uh, except, except in the sort of mise en scène, and se- you know the way that they have to move, like the here I can imagine the devils and the succubi, and there's there's a lot of interaction in the movements, but probably characters don't speak to one another more than you know, I don't know, maybe just maybe it's just like cats, you know, each cat has a song. It's like well, each author has a painful story to tell, and mm-hmm. uh, Satan is sort of <laughs> you know the the ringleader and. It's <laughs> I don't know, but I, I wonder if this play – it sounds like a real play. It sounds like something that somebody might have written. I know, but the fact uh, that they it, – it's at least four acts. <laughs> it's five. It's a five-act structure, like Shakespeare. Okay, but um, he was writing for an audience that didn't have anything else to do that day. <laughs> they could spend 11 hours at the theater to see Hamlet unabridged. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like and, – and I mean for – for Woody, for that character, is just like sitting for the length of four <laughs> acts before he speaks again. But you know, it's like, how much does he speak then? And maybe you know, it's like, uh, does he speak a little bit and then he comes back at the end? Or you know, how? It, I mean, it's uh, it's the kind of joke that you expect, where he's when he starts 
like I knew that's what was going to happen. When he stopped speaking, I thought, okay, he's he's putting in the time where other characters are speaking, and you know, the rest of the bar are going, go on. <laughs> and is the actor expected to smoke for four hours every day during the performance? That's, that's, that's the, the the hard part. There would be a union issue with that today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's just like this is terrible. And Woody isn't a smoker. As far as no. No. Yeah. I get. I have to mention this just because I. I don't think I'll ever get a chance again. The I mentioned two of the three community theater shows I did when I moved to Vermont. The one in between them was. Have you ever heard of the mystery of Edwin Drood? I, I've heard of it. It's um, it's Ellen Poe. It's yeah. Charles Dickens. It's based on Charles Dickens. That's it. That's it. It's yeah. based on an unfinished manuscript by Charles Dickens, or unfinished or posthumously published, something like that. But they they adapted it and they made a musical of it. And the fact that it was incomplete or unfinished, they they weave that into this mystery so that uh, there's there's a murder mystery element to it, so that they're like each night, each performance, sort of like Clue, you could have a different killer or a different reveal, a different person at the end with a singing number, okay. um, something like that. So um, my a buddy of mine got talked into directing the show. He had no interest in it, but he was kind of twisted his arm to direct the show. So he asked me to do it just to kind of like help him with the, just be in the show to help lighten the load, just so he had somebody to talk to. I don't have the musical or dancing chops to do that part of it, but I was like, if there's something I can do, I hop. So I ended up getting the role of the stage manager. There is a show within a show component to it. So part of the, there is like a, Performance where they, they, you have actors on the stage and like they, you, the the audience is aware of a play within it and like the kind of like the star ringleader or something like that. And I'm just the stage manager and I just have I'm kind of like ringing things. It was kind of an excuse for me to be on stage moving set pieces around without like kind of like being like dressed all in black and do it. And I didn't have much to do and I was like there wasn't much, so I was just I, I was like as like the, we're like a week before the show and I'm just trying to find something to do to kind of inhabit this this role to give myself something to do so i I went into the costume department and i found like a it was like a a fake pregnancy baby bump type of thing but i threw it over my shoulder and i gave myself a hunt like a hunchback type of thing and an eye patch and i was just like if this is like an 1800s elizabeth edwardian you know charles dickens thing yeah the stage manager is gonna have an eye patch and a humpback i'm gonna do this type of thing so I do this for the dress rehearsals and we throw it in and it ends up kind of being kind of like a, a funny little thing. People like the way I'm interacting with it. We get a review for like the local paper, just kind of setting up like to like, like an advance notice, just like, hey, this is what the show is about. Come see it on this and this date. I was the only actor mentioned by name in the review. <laughs> and they, they gave me a special shout out. If you looked at the cast list, I would be like the 23rd person. But they mentioned me by name and gave me a special shout out. I am convinced it's because the person writing the review thought I was legitimately physically or mentally disabled. And that <laughs> they were like, like giving me like a shout out like I was physically disabled or mentally handicapped or something and they like they were being like nice to to especially single me out there's no other reason why they would mention me but not great for the other actors no no and I was just like I saw that and I'm like oh they're gonna hate my guts I was yeah, like, this it's a little bit good. like when you get a review and it's uh mm-hmm. all they all they mention is the lights yeah <laughs> so 
you know, the background or something. It's like, well, it was terrible. So then the other thing about the show is during one of the performances, like the second or third night, there's a character holding a bottle, like a, a liquor bottle, empty, of course, but it's on stage. During one of the scenes, like there's a song number where everybody freezes on stage, except for these two people doing a duet and like a song. When they freeze, this actor dropped the bottle and it shatters on stage. And everybody's kind of like freaking out on the side, like nobody knows what to do. But I was like, I'm the one person that can believably do something about this and actually interact with this moment because I'm the stage manager and something just happened on stage, this disaster. So we grit, we scramble. I grabbed a broom and a dust mop and I go on stage as everybody else on stage is like frozen stiff, except for these two people doing a song and dance number around their actors. And I'm like navigating like an asteroid field between them as I'm trying to sweep. And like, kind of like, made dance, turned this weird little number in the show into like, like people like nonstop laughs and like, stay like standing ovation. Like, this is what they should have writ- written the review about. Was this little five minute number with me on there? Because I, I think I saved the show at that point. But anyway, uh, that was like the, my one like really standout moment in that. <laughs> you need that. Those are improv chops. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's why you need a bit of improv background to. In case something happens, you can always spin it around. I've, I've seen, I've been in plays where we forgot, you know, pages and pages. It's like, how do you make it back, you know, fit back together again? Yeah. So, um, okay. So, <laughs> or that's that's my long story about that. Nothing to do with Cheers. But um, before we go, any other uh, any other thoughts about the episode in general? No, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm stoked to hear that the, the this element uh, will recur. Yeah. So I, I'm almost wondering if, uh, you know, like he just moved to Chinatown. So <laughs> the local theater, is it like around Chinatown? Is it, is it in that area? <laughs> that um, would have been interesting. It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be. But um, uh, still, I'm, I'm interested yeah. to see other moments where Woody, you know, partakes in the right. – the theatrical arts. I'm trying to think of how often it now. I can't remember how often it comes up, but I know there's a future episode uh, that guest stars Lisa Kudrow from Friends, a younger young okay. Lisa Kudrow. Um, when they're a younger doing, version, of, uh, yeah, <laughs> a younger version of Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely not playing the same character, but yeah, they're on it. That, uh, yeah, that's. But that, no, that wouldn't be until I don't think that's until season seven, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see a little bit of it again. But I like that it's just it's a we we see a little bit more of Woody doing something different, as you pointed out. Um, seeing him play a part, opening like these, new, uh, unraveling new facets of the character. Um, just the tenderness and the sweetness of him in general. Yeah, that's always a lot of fun. So, um, for Norm's tab, I gave him credit for five beers this episode, which takes him up to five hundred and fourteen for the series. Just because, I mean, there's so much time jumping and everything like that um, between scenes. So, you know, every new scene he's got something. There's actually the one, the one time when Sam announces that it's closing time and he pushes his empty beer. But then he's like, I'm going to go home early to, to Vera. And then he's like, no, I'm not. She, she looked happy enough that I left. And he goes back and he has another beer. So that was two right there. Yeah. Right. The very ceremonious last call. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You know, I, I have to tell, you know. I have to break this to you. I have to tell you this. Yeah. I have to break this to you, but. Last call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for employee of the week, who did you have? It's got to be Woody, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty obvious. Yeah, Woody centric yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, there were some points where I thought I thought about giving it to Mary as the guest star, but no, Woody. Just yeah, it had to be Woody. So, 
Um, <laughs> I had I had a home run and I had a runner up. I'll do my runner up first. Um, they when they're trying to get Woody to talk to Marion, like to break it off with her, and Clint has this line, and he's like, "You know, a man of your age with an older woman like that—it's unnatural." And Norm goes, "Well, Cliff, what about you? You spend a lot of time with your mom, and she's older." And Cliff just changes his his whole like physical demeanor and goes, "My mother's not old, and she's never going to die before me. So just shut up, okay?" And he runs off. <laughs> That's one of those Cliff and his mom things that I love so much. But I think my my home run, my my very favorite part is when Woody first gets the the part of the understudy, and he's so excited. And Rebecca comes on, and she's like, "Woody, this isn't going to interfere with your job, is it?" And he goes, gee, I don't think so. And then he takes a moment, he looks up like he's thinking about it for the first time. He's like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, like it just dawned on him for the first time. He's like, I don't know if I can do both. We already know my home run. It's, it's Mary's um, – that's an unkind assumption, sir. Yeah, isn't hell, yeah. Yeah, my runner-up was a just a physical moment because one of the things we didn't mention, I guess, is when um, Sam is sent up to the restaurant to make change. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's a junior bartender's job. And she says, you are the junior bartender. So okay, he goes. And when he comes back, he throws a shrimp at her. And she, <laughs> like, she catches it. And it's like, what's that? Ah, what's that? It's like, the shrimp is like, ew. That whole bit is just, uh, to me, was very, very funny. Like, came out of nowhere. He's trolling her. Uh, he's having fun with Rebecca there in a way that we maybe haven't seen as much, you know. If he's still flirting with her, he's flirting like he's a nine-year-old. <laughs> there <laughs> so was I a, like that moment. I, I like that too. There was another physical bit like that that I forgot to put in my notes. But um, in the the last scene when Mary comes back, Carla says, "Woody, you should get her a glass." And Woody's like, "She doesn't drink this time of day or something." And Carla says, "No, to put her teeth in." When Carla says that, Sam throws a bottle cap at her. <laughs> it's like one of those things where he's oh. like, he's like, stop teasing. He's just kind of like one of those like admonished things like, shut up. That was too harsh or too mean, Carla, or something like that. It was a silent thing, but he just throws this bottle cap at her. She kind of brushes it off. But I was like, that was a I funny think it's one of the It's one of the best things about Cheers is how yeah. they know when it's a joke. You know, the characters know it's a joke and they yeah. react to one another and you can see them kind of laughing in the background. Yeah. And if it's not uh, centered on them – they're still present and they're still doing things. They're still living that life. Uh, and you catch them in the, you know, on yep. the side yeah, doing things. And uh, I think that's one of the better things about this show. Yeah, I agree. All right, Cisco, where else can people find you on the uh, podcastosphere or the network? Well, uh, every Tuesday is uh, Canada Day unless uh, – Unless I keep being sick like I am right now, <laughs> and I'm going to end up missing a day. But uh, uh, for now, I don't expect it. So um, FW Team Up, Oh Hot More Not, um, you know, Who's Editing, Let's Roll. I got plenty of shows, and there's always one that drops on a Tuesday. One of them being uh, Give Me That Star Trek. Has the third season of Picard don't, finished? Don't, don't, force me to, don't force me to begin a season. <laughs> I, I was, I was yeah. just... I've pushed it back. I've pushed it back. I know. I, I'm I've been not, announcing I'm, it. Yeah, I was just wondering I, because I don't. I don't watch the show, but I'm just wondering if the third season is finished yet because I hear everybody raving about it. Oh, you, what do you mean the season of Picard? Yeah. Oh, Picard! It just started, so okay. we're four episodes in or something. Oh, so, okay. I wasn't um, sure. Or five, or six, or seven by the time <laughs> this guy's out. But no, it's not over. It's just started. Okay. Uh, but the, yeah, but my show's not going to talk about like something that's fresh. We're <laughs> 
We're, we're going to talk about, you know, old action figures or something. Wait, yeah. wait for the 40th anniversary. That's what I did. That's right. I, I'll just wait. For, but, uh, yeah, I, I was supposed to have started the uh, a new season of Give Me That Star Trek already. But uh, because I've been, you know, busy with other things, I just couldn't make it happen. I was too ambitious with my topics that I wanted to cover, and I had to push it back a month or maybe two. So, um, But it, it is coming. There's more Give Me That Star Trek coming. Good to hear. Good to hear. All right. Thanks again for being on this episode, and thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on social media and leaving comments on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. This show is patronized by the Right On Network and Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast to support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. You gotta nip this in the bud. Yeah, yeah, I agree there, Woody. For a young man such as yourself to be spending so much time with an older woman is, eh, it's just unnatural. Yeah, well, how about you, Cliff? You spend lots of time with your mother, and she's old. My mom's not old, and she's never gonna die before I do, so just shut up, okay? Okay. <laughs>